And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. It's an insane deal. You got to go do it now. It's basically free. Free for six months. Go ahead and do that. With me, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, tell us what happened in the NBA this week. Oh, Andrew! It all started (laughs) last Friday night with an absolute shellacking of the Utah Jazz by the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pels beat the Jazz 124-90. It was the Pels' fourth win in a row, but unfortunately, the fun stopped there. After an overtime loss to Denver, we learned Brandon Ingram would be out for a while with a hamstring strain, and two losses later, including a loss to the 17-win Magic, we learned C.J. McCollum had entered health and safety protocols. If there's a silver lining, it's that New Orleans still has a two-game lead on the Spurs, their closest non-tanking competition, and they have the fifth easiest remaining schedule. Hopefully the Pels get the guys back before next Friday's meeting with the Spurs, their first of two against their closest rival for a play-in spot. On Saturday, the Lakers, who have made a habit out of disappointing Lakers legend James Worthy on a weekly basis, got a win for Big Game James after a big game from James against the Warriors. It was a brutal night for the one guy on earth who tells his friends LeBron James isn't a great scorer as LeBron scored 56 points in the 124-116 win, only the fourth time a player 37 years or older has scored 50. The other three? MJ, Kobe, and last week's trivia answer, Jamal Crawford. (laughs) On Sunday, the Wheel of Fandom blessed us with one of the games of the year. Boston versus Brooklyn, Tatum versus Durant. While KD dropped an efficient 37, he was bested by Tatum, who scored a season-high 54 points in the 126-120 win. The Celtics have now won 17 of their last 20, with their only losses coming to the Hawks, Pistons, and Pacers. By the time you're hearing this, you will know whether the Detroit Pistons are this Celtics team's kryptonite for some reason as they play again on Friday night. On Monday, those frisky Pistons beat the Atlanta Hawks 113-110 in overtime. The Pistons, who only have 18 wins, have won six of their last nine games. Part of the reason for this sudden improvement has been the play of number one overall pick Cade Cunningham, who is averaging 22 points, seven rebounds, and five and a half assists per game after the All-Star break. The Pistons are now only two games back in the win column from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Will Pistons GM and Sam Presti disciple Troy Weaver begin to pull the tanking levers? Or will he do the honorable thing and let them win at least one more game than the Thunder? On Tuesday, the Nets bounce back from their Sunday loss to the Celtics with a 132-121 win over the Charlotte Hornets. What made this game memorable was not just that Kyrie Irving scored 50 points, it's that it was the most efficient 50-point game we've ever seen. Kyrie had 50 points on only 19 shots, shooting 78.9% overall, which included going 9 of 12 from 3. His true shooting percentage in the game was 101% the highest ever in a 50-point game. On Wednesday, Devin Booker returned to the Suns lineup, helping the Suns beat the Heat 111-90. While the Heat did not have Jimmy Butler in the game, the Suns were still without Chris Paul and they didn't have Cam Johnson. Since last week, the Suns have extended their lead over the second best record, now in front of the Grizz and Warriors by eight and a half games. 
Also on Wednesday, the Lakers couldn't let James Worthy be happy for an entire week. No, they had to go to Houston, home of the worst team in the NBA, and lose 139 to 130 in overtime. The Lakers experimented with a new defensive scheme in the game where their star players don't move on defense. This new form of anti-defense is thought to confuse opposing teams, but at least for one night, it was not successful. As number two overall pick, Jalen Green had a career-high 32 points, including several clutch buckets in the game. And finally, Andrew, on Thursday night, oh baby, we had one of the Ooh. biggest games of the year. The Sixers, who had technically already won the championship after beating the Knicks twice, were facing off against their trade deadline rivals, the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets were 5-17 in their previous 22 games coming into Thursday night and were still without Ben Simmons, who was on the bench, however, happily being booed by the Philly fans. We've mentioned big game James Worthy a few times already today. Safe to say his nickname is safe, as James Harden went 3 of 17 in the game, dropping 11 <laughs> whole points on the Nets. The Nets somehow weathered the double-digit onslaught from Harden and the critical four points offered up by Tyrese Maxey before eventually breaking free, winning 129-100. to The silver lining, if you're a Sixers fan, is that it is just one game and there are many more opportunities to prove themselves before the playoffs. Just before the end of this month, the Sixers' opponents will include Denver, Dallas, Toronto, Miami, Phoenix, Milwaukee, the Cavs again, Plenty of time to make sure they avoid Brooklyn in the first round. What a week it was, Andrew. Oh boy, it's been quite a week and really quite quite a, a time since the All-Star break. Alex, there's been a scoring explosion since the All-Star break. 23 players are averaging over 25 points or more. On the season, there's only 13 guys doing that. Taking it a little further, eight players are averaging 30 plus points post-All-Star break. Al, do you know how many players are doing that for the entire season? Uh, Two. It's zero. There's none. Oh, There's zero. not one guy averaging zero. 30 points per game. So it's tons of guys scoring. Now, is this a small sample? Yes. But has it been really fun? Yeah, it's been great. And that leads me to a little list that I've made. Five guys you might want to pay attention to post-All-Star break, but you're definitely not going to. Five guys. Number five. Number five. Wendell Carter Jr., He's averaging 18 points, 12 and a half rebounds per game, and 2.6 assists. And did you know this, Alex? Since the All-Star break, the Magic have the best defensive rating in the NBA. <laughs> I did not know that. Isn't and that would have wild? never guessed it. No, and, and Carter has, has been a huge part of their little surge that they've, that they've had here. Number four, Kelvin hey, wait, Johnson. Before, 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 you know, that just made me remember something. You know yeah. who the, the Sixers play next? They play the Orlando Magic. Hey, defensive juggernaut, Orlando Let's Magic. Let's see. Let's see. They're hot. Number four, Kelvin Johnson of the Spurs, 19 and a half points per game since the All-Star break, six rebounds. He's shooting 41% from three on nearly five attempts per game this season. He's only 22 years old. He's started to make a leap, maybe even a pre-leap, Al. Ooh. But maybe we don't maybe we don't want to talk about pre leaps this week. Uh number three, Kyle Kuzma. This one kind of blew my mind. He's the vet of this list. I tried to go for young guys, but I could not ignore Kuzma. I kept seeing his name pop up every time that I started to sort columns on NBA.com slash stats. This is his fifth year in the league. It feels like he's been in the league way longer than that. He's 26 years old, but he is the older guy on this list. He's averaging 25.5 points per game, 7.7 .7 rebounds, and 6 assists since the All-Star break. And I know no one cares about the Wizards, but they do have the 6th best offense post-All-Star break. Wow. Kyle Kuzma's been really good and been like their go-to offensive guy. So congratulations and on the Westbrook trade, Wizards fans. And the crazy thing is, like, you know, they were my fake surprise team. Yeah. which is the team that starts off and they're in the top four somewhere in the first like four weeks of the season, then fall out of the playoffs. I was feeling great and I'm still feeling good, but they're only a game and a half back of the Hawks. I know. It's not crazy to think they could catch the Hawks for the 10th seat. They could do it. Porzingis is back. The Zinger's looking good too. It's They've been actually kind of fun to watch. Uh, number two, RJ Barrett. Post All-Star break, RJ Barrett has been really something. 27 points per game, six rebounds, five assists. He's made huge progress 
for a Knicks team that is pretty hopeless. I mean, normally people are paying attention to the Knicks anyways, but since they've kind of fallen out of it, like who cares? No one's watching the Knicks. Maybe you should watch because of R.J. Barrett because his playmaking and scoring has taken a leap over the past couple of weeks. He's looked really good, and at least they have one building block moving forward that you feel good about. Number one on this list, this might be a homer pick. In fact, it is a homer pick. It's a guy that I've seen up close and personal a lot since the All-Star break. It's Shea Gilgis-Alexander of the Oklahoma City Thunder. 36-8 and since the All-Star break. Now, a well-known weird stat for Shea is that he's led the league in drives for the last two seasons. Obviously, that's nothing new. But something that has been new for him is his floor vision and finishing with his left hand. Right now, he's top 10 in potential assists, which is pretty impressive. And since January 1st, he's 11th in assists per game in the NBA. Now, he, and he's playing right now. He's playing with guys like the best guys on the team are Trey Mann and Isaiah Roby. Help, help me out. Somebody else. I was, was going to say, name another person. <laughs> yeah, those are the best guys. So it's been pretty impressive that he's just able to get any assists at all and to average eight since the All-Star break is pretty impressive. And the thing that, to me, that's dramatically changed with him is his improved left hand. Defenders used to be able to send him left, and he'd usually have to pass out of it, or he would struggle to figure out a way to get to the basket. Now, he's able to use his left hand not only to get to the basket, but he's finding guys. He's scoring with ease with his left hand. It's It's been quite impressive. And then since the All-Star break, his mid-range has also been something that he's added a lot to. He's averaged 8.4 field goal attempts that are non-restricted area uh, paint shots. That's the most in the NBA post-All-Star break. And he's connecting on 52.2% of those shots. It's been really impressive. It's been fun seeing him make a jump. Uh, Al, I think that any of these guys would have been a much better pick for us last week on our pre-leap podcast. Uh, feels like maybe we were going for two two guys that were maybe too deep a cut, right? Vassell and Okongwu, which is okay. You would have left me out of the room if I had picked Kyle Kuzma. Man, those stats, though. Doesn't that he, blow your mind? 25, 7, and 6? Like that, I, that blows my mind. But this list serves as kind of a mulligan for us. There's a lot of young and fun players out there that no one is watching and the league will eventually take notice to these guys. Yeah, if you if you didn't know, uh, Andrew's pick on Yakon Kongwu uh, missed two games like immediately. <laughs> uh, he is back now. And then uh, Devin Vassell has been out like the last three games. I think he has like a, a hip, a hamstring or something. He has yeah. something. He's out now too. So both of our choices just terrible. We tried to go too <laughs> smart NBA, Andrew. We were really trying to uh, predict something amazing. And there were there were names right in front of us. There, like we, they were all we, there. We were texting about like Jalen Green. Like even even though he's a rookie, and you ex, you kind yeah. of expect there to be like some jump. You mentioned like a lot of rookies hit the rookie wall. So like the fact that he is making mm-hmm. this leap post All Star break is kind of a big deal. And it is. I mean that that game he had against the Lakers was incredible. And that's yeah. the best I've seen him this entire year. And those shots mm-hmm. he was making down the stretch and how aggressive he was being. It was awesome. We, there were so many better options. Nothing against the two guys we chose. Maybe they'll come back. I still like those guys. I still like both of them. We, we still like both of them, but... We were a year early on our pre-leap. That was the pre-pre-leap. Ooh, that'd be what great. That was. If that's yeah. how it turns out. Um, okay, for my most interesting thing, I want to talk about the playoffs. Uh, because I don't know if I've ever been more excited for an NBA playoffs than I am this season. Would you agree? Yeah. Like, I, it, I agree. I, I There's no favorite. There's no real favorite. There's no favor. Well, though, well, I'll get to it. It's because of the parody, or at yeah. least the perceived parody. Like, even though I think the Suns have done enough to be considered favorites, I will seriously listen to like nine or 10 fan bases if they want to make the case for their team <laughs> making the finals. And that just wasn't the case for most of the past decade. There were usually yeah. two to four teams max that you would seriously consider. And the rest, you would kind of just be going through the motions, you know? You do your little podcast segment, is blank a contender, question mark? You talk yourself into a bit deep down. You know you're lying to yourself. Not this year, Andrew. <laughs> and as a result of this perceived parody, you have to work a lot harder to come up with reasons to discount all of these teams in the playoffs. Because there's so many good teams that have legitimate arguments. So I thought it'd be fun to try 
and debunk some of the most common arguments I've heard against the future playoff success of certain teams. These are the arguments that you're going to hear over and over again online, on TV, on podcasts, about teams as we get closer to the playoffs. And before we all just accept these arguments at face value, let's go in with an open mind and see if they're as rock solid as they sound. Are they slam dunk arguments or are they junk? Welcome to Dunk or Junk, our new weekly segment, When I Feel Like Doing It. Do not hold me to this, where I examine a playoff argument against a team. And at the end, Andrew, you decide whether the argument is actually a slam dunk or whether we should throw it out because it's junk. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay, on this week's installment of Dunk or Junk, we are focusing on the Memphis Grizzlies. The argument? I don't believe in Memphis in the playoffs because of their half-court offense. I did a quick search on Twitter using some keywords. It brought up some relevant tweets. One person tweets, I think people are really overlooking how poor Memphis's half-court offense is. The stuff they are elite at, trying hard in transition, matters way less in the playoffs. Very interesting. Another tweets, the only problem for the Grizzlies is that they play off of fast breaks and play fast. Teams are going to expose that when they play half-court offense. Yikes. And finally, one more person tweets, Grizzlies half-court offense will get them swept. Oh my, my. That does not sound good, Andrew. (laughs) Now, this has been one of the most common arguments you will hear about the Grizzlies playoff chances, who, by the way, currently have the second best record in the league, 45 and 22, but people have their doubts, and the half-court offense is one reason why. So let's jump in. Let's start with where this is coming from. Who said this? How do we know this is true? We know this because of Cleaning the Glass, the NBA stats site of which I am a subscriber, and you should be too. Cleaning the Glass is known for filtering out garbage time in the hopes of providing a more accurate picture of how teams are really playing. And one of the stats they offer is half-court offensive efficiency. And according to that metric, the Grizzlies currently rank 23rd in the league. If you're wondering, Utah is number one in this metric. Now, it's important to note that this stat is calculated as points per play rather than points per possession. You can have multiple mm-hmm. plays in a single position, possession, which will become important later. So the argument goes, in the playoffs, the game slows down. Teams that thrive in transition but aren't as good in the half court will be punished. Therefore, the Grizz are dead in the water because they have the eighth worst half court <laughs> offense in the league. Well, the obvious question is how important is regular season half-court offense in the playoffs? Does does it project? Does it matter? For that, I used the Cleaning the Glass database to go back 15 years and look at every team that made the conference finals, 60 teams in total. The average conference finals team in the last 15 years was ranked seventh in regular season half-court offensive efficiency. Not that surprising and much higher than Memphis's 23rd ranking. We are worried at this point. But It's not like every conference finalist had an amazing half-court offense. Someone is dragging down that average. And in fact, over the past 15 years, six of those 60 teams, so 10%, had a regular season half-court offense that ranked in the bottom half of the league, 16th or worse. Those six teams were the Bubble Lakers, the 2013 and 2014 Indiana Pacers, Hmm. the 2013 Memphis Grizzlies, who also happened to be ranked exactly 23rd in regular season half-court offense. We also had the 2011 Chicago Bulls, and finally the 2007 Cleveland Cavaliers. Of those six teams, two made the finals, both with LeBron, and one won the title. What do these teams have in common? The most obvious similarity is that, with one exception, which was the 2014 Pacers, these were very good offensive rebounding teams. Five were top 11 offensive rebounding teams, and two of those teams were number one overall in the league. In other words, these teams were blunting the negative effects of their below average half-court offense by giving themselves a ton of second, third, and fourth opportunities through offensive rebounding. And guess who is number one in offensive rebound percentage this season? It's the Grizz. Grizz. Now, cleaning the glass has a metric called points per miss which answers the question, how many points did the team score per 100 missed field goals or reboundable free throws? In other words, how efficient is your offense when you get your own miss? Mm -hmm. Memphis is number one in this stat. So yes, the half-court offense is bad, but they're cleaning up their own messes better than any other team in the league. Another similarity between these six teams is great defense. All six of the teams that had a below-average half-court offense but still made the conference finals 
also had a top five overall defense and a top five half court defense. Every single one. These were elite defensive teams. And unfortunately, this is where this year's Grizz team comes up just a little short. Because per cleaning the glass, Memphis is eighth in overall defense and 12th in half court defense. Still good, but not as elite as these other teams. So we understand how important Memphis's offensive rebounding is to their half court offense. But it sounds like at least compared to similar teams historically, their defense may not be as elite as it need to be. You might be thinking the half-court argument against the Grizz sounding like a slam dunk, Andrew. (laughs) Well, before you write them off, two more things. First, just because most conference finalists tend to have good half-court offenses in the regular season doesn't mean they all had great half-court offenses in the playoffs. Of the 60 conference finalists in the last 15 years, 12 or 20% had a below average half court offense in the playoffs. We had two last year. The Bucks' half court offense last year was ranked 13th out of 20 teams, while the Hawks were ranked 12th. In other words, even if the Grizzlies' half court offense doesn't suddenly come alive in the playoffs, it's not impossible for them to still be successful. And lastly, and most importantly, Is there any evidence that the Grizzlies' half-court offense may actually perform better in the playoffs? On Cleaning the Glass, you can filter by opponent defense. So you can see how does the Grizzlies' half-court offense look against bottom 10 defenses, middle 10 defenses, and top 10 defenses. Against bottom 10 defenses, the Grizzlies' half-court offense ranks 25th. Woof. Hmm. Against middle 10 defenses, it ranks 23rd. Barf! Against top 10 defenses, the Grizzlies half-court offense ranks 12th in the league. In other words, when the Grizzlies have played the best defensive teams in the league, their terrible half-court offense all of a sudden starts to click. And who are some of those teams with top 10 defenses, according to Cleaning Glass? Golden State, Phoenix, the Clippers, Denver, Utah. All teams Memphis could potentially face in the West playoffs and teams that collectively Memphis is 12 and 2 against. So yeah, it's absolutely true that teams with better half-court offenses tend to do better in the playoffs. But A, there are exceptions. B, teams can have below average half-court offenses in the playoffs and still be successful and win titles. And C, when it has mattered the most against the teams they'll be facing in the playoffs, except the Dallas Mavericks, Memphis's half-court <laughs> offense has been just fine. Yeah. So Andrew the argument is Memphis's half-court offense will ultimately doom them in the playoffs. Is that a slam dunk or is that junk? I think it's junk. I think it's absolutely junk. All right! I, I think this Grizzlies team has some something special. And you mentioned the offensive rebounding. They've got three guys that are top 50 in offensive rebounding. Number one is Steven Adams, who has the most offensive rebounds in the league this year. He has 287 offensive rebounds. He only has uh, 328 defensive rebounds. He He's <laughs> almost got the exact same number. Between him and the 10th most offensive rebounds, which is to Jared Vanderbilt, is 103 re- offensive rebounds is the difference wow. between those two. It's pretty wild. And he the, sec- the guy who's second in offensive rebounds is Mitchell Robinson. He's got 55 more offensive rebounds. Than Mitchell Robinson, he's he's having one of he's having maybe one of the most underrated seasons, which is like a typical Stephen Adams thing to do. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so that wraps up our first installment of Dunk or Junk with the Memphis Grizzlies, and it's junk. All right, Al, we'll be right back after this quick break. We're going to talk about something that's not junk at all, and that's the Boston Celtics. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfume, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, 
which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, the segment where each week we spin a digital wheel, it lands on an NBA team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. This week, the wheel landed on the hottest team in the league, the Boston Celtics. As I mentioned earlier, the Celtics have won 17 of their last 20, led by their stifling defense. Since January 1st, the gap between Boston and the second-ranked defense is as large as the gap between 2 and 11. This week, the Celtics went 2-0 with a statement win over KD and the Nets on Sunday and a win over the Hornets on Wednesday. Andrew, if our favorite team is the Celtics, who is our guest? Oh, boy. It's Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Jared, what's Uh, up, Here we go. Had to be me. (laughs) Thanks for joining, man. I, I love the just the the great timing that your will happen to land on the hottest team in the NBA right now, right after they started beating good teams. It's amazing how random this works. It is random. It's it's not fake. A lot of people think it's fake. A lot of people think we change our answers after the case. But I feel like us doing the Rockets a few weeks ago was proof that we do not change it. Wow. Okay. If you're willing to do the Rockets, then I guess you are willing to do it. It actually might be proof that we're faking it because we were trying to prove that we weren't faking it. Anyways, (laughs) since the All-Star break, Jason Tatum has upped his scoring average from 25 points per game to 35 points per game. In just his last four games, Tatum is averaging 42 points on 56-46-87 shooting splits. That's rhymes. I I was not prepared for that to rhyme. Uh, is this the case of Tatum hitting all of his tough shots over a short stretch, or do you think there's something else more significant happening here? It, I know that there is because this is the same thing that happens every year. It's post-All-Star break. This dude just goes off every time. I, I don't know. He must get like the right-angled massage during the All-Star break. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> he, every time, just comes out firing. And it's not like this is just a sudden flip of the switch. This has been building for a while. A huge part of it, honestly, is just that like the rest of the team is hitting their shots around him. But he is he is hitting his shots more. And the one thing that's been weird this year is he's shooting like one for six, two for nine all the time from deep. He just never has found a stride. Lately he's been connecting more. The just kind of he's going on these runs where he's just pulling up for effortless pull-up threes and they're hitting the back of the rim and the net's not even moving. He's getting a lot of that rhythm in him, but it's really just that. Over the course of the year, he has gotten so much better as a playmaker and so much better at handling defenses and taking what they throw at him and picking them apart. He's just taking he's taking that next leap. It's happened at the end of every single season. He's doing it again. Is there any consensus among Celtics fans about where that game against the Nets ranks in Tatum's career? A lot of people had it number one. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people had it number one. Uh, he had... I think they won game three last year where he had like 53 points right. against the Nets. I mean, that's in the playoffs. So like that obviously is, is that's number one for me. Um, and then when he, he, he went off for a 50 plus against Minnesota last year, I think it was the Minnesota game where that was a huge comeback. Might've been the San Antonio game. I can't remember which might've been when he scored 60 against San Antonio, but mm-hmm. one of those two games, they, they were way down and he brought them all the way back. I think that would probably be, probably would be number one there. Um, but and then uh, one of the games against Toronto, he was also insane on both ends of the floor. So, but that's yeah, it doesn't doesn't get much better yeah. than what he did the other night against Brooklyn. So on the other side of the court, the Celtics' defensive dominance is pretty well established at this point. You wrote in early February about Udoka moving Rob Williams off the ball and how that helped to unlock the defense. What else is contributing to this dominance? They they've just gotten so good with their switching scheme up top, um, and they've gotten really complex with how they read when to switch. They go in and out of traditional drop coverage where the guard goes over the screen and the big man sits back and tries to corral the screen. They 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 are really good at knowing when to do that against certain personnel and when to do the normal switches. So I think they've just they've got that all figured out, and guys are just so comfortable switching now that there's no more thinking about making the read. The read happens naturally, and that, that allows them to be more aggressive, allows them to be smarter at how they take their gambles. Marcus Smart, using the word smart there, Marcus Smart has been unbelievable this year. He's making a legit push for DPOY after having a bit of a down year last year. So I think those are the big things. And also just 
their their top seven are all really good versatile defenders. There's not a single defender that really can't handle switching across the board on anybody out there. Like Rob Williams is maybe the closest to having trouble guarding ones, but he's actually doing a pretty good job against speedy guards, keeping them in front of him and still contesting their shots. Grant Williams, he's their seventh man. He's been really good defensively this year. And then obviously like Derek White's their new sixth man. He's one of the one of the best defenders in the NBA. So the Derek White trade wasn't the flashiest trade at the trade deadline. Uh, but what is it about his game that has allowed him to fit so seamlessly with the Celtics? Well, that's his thing. I mean, he's just a guy without jagged edges. So he just he, he slides into any system you need him to. His only weakness is he doesn't hit three pointers. Otherwise, he gets the rim well enough that he can find he can create his own looks. He's got a bit of a mid-range game, really smart passer. He doesn't really turn it over. It's funny because him, him and Smart have a lot of overlap in their game, actually a lot of overlap in their game as far as their style, their skill set. But what's interesting is Smart is a very all-or-nothing playmaker. He makes really beautiful, flashy passes all the time, but then also tends to throw a lot of silly turnovers. Derek White never turns the ball over. Like, I've seen him turn it over three times since he got to Boston. I'm sure it's more than that. But he never turns it over. He doesn't make a lot of really spectacular passes, but makes a lot of smart passes. And he's doing a lot of what Gordon Hayward did when he was in Boston. And Gordon Hayward was this really vital fourth piece that they had where he was always cutting, always crashing the glass. He was good switching on defense. He could guard a lot of positions. The big difference with him was he was a good knockdown shooter and he could score coming over pick and rolls in a way that White can't do, which is why Gordon Hayward gets paid $30 million uh, and Derek White gets paid $17 million. But he's bringing a lot of that stuff that they missed. They just, they needed one more glue guy. And I mean, this team already had their turnaround before he got there, but we're seeing replacing Dennis Schroeder in the rotation with Derek White has made a massive difference for just the overall character of this team. So now as we get closer to the playoffs, people are going to have to start deciding how much they believe in the Celtics as a real contender. What do you think are some of the legitimate reasons to doubt this team in the playoffs? Because it's kind of hard to figure out a good argument right now. Like they've been beating all the good teams. They have an elite defense. Their offense has been top five over the last 15. What do you see as this team's weaknesses heading into the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, since they had that big collapse again, MSG that we keep using as that turn uh, turning point or at MSG back on January 6th. So it's been 28 games now. So you know, about a third of the season, they have the eighth ranked offense in the league. So their offense is good. And then their defense is like a mile ahead of Miami who's in second place in that span. So them, the obvious thing is shooting. They have three good shooters on the roster. They have Jason Tatum is now shooting the ball well. Jalen Brown, shooting numbers are down this year, but like he's a pretty well-established as one of the top shooting guards in the NBA. And then Grant Williams continues to shoot the ball pretty well out of the corners. After that, Marcus Smart is shooting like 36% from three over that stretch in the last couple months. Al Horford shooting about 38%. Those were two guys that were shooting down in the 20s before that. Now they're shooting around average. If this keeps up, then like, yeah, their offense is good enough. They could win the title for sure. Uh, but that the, you know that the, who knows if it's going to keep up they're going to be playing a lot of really good defenses really keying in on guys and it's going to be a lot harder than it's been so far for them because the big thing for them is that they were getting all those wins schedule was ridiculously easy it was all bad teams playing teams or playoff teams with most of their good players missing mm-hmm. they had a couple good wins they had like they beat Jokic they beat Embiid those were good wins but that was it. And then they had this last week. They beat Jaw. They beat KD. Those are both really good games. They're continuing to roll. They went into Charlotte. They handled Charlotte pretty easily. So, you know, they I think they have done enough now to establish their playoff bona fides. It's just that we know teams that don't shoot the ball well, they always get exposed in the playoffs. Right. Ima Yudoka has had a really interesting season. What's it been like covering him? He's had a pretty dramatic transition from early season in battle coach to now being a coach of the year candidate. Yeah, I mean, I love covering him because the dude says whatever he wants to say. He does not sugarcoat stuff. He is the opposite of Brad Stevens in that regard in that he what I love is that he'll just talk. I'll ask him game plan stuff and be like, you look like you were targeting this guy. I'll be like, yeah, we were targeting him. And coaches don't usually do that. They don't usually say that they don't try to put bolts and poor material up there. He does. And what's the best part is he does it about his own team. One of my probably my favorite quote of the year from him was. Uh, two days ago, I think it was when he was asked about criticizing the team, and he said, "I was told that like criticizing the players was not welcomed. Like I care, they love it." 
and it was great. He just, he just, he like, he'll say like, I don't give a shit like all the time. It's so great. And so that's really refreshing. He's been as advertised. He's quiet, but he does say some interesting stuff in there. A lot of his quotes are him listing out numbers, which kind of makes someone useful. So that's a little annoying sometimes, but I mean, whatever, who cares? He, he's been he's been good at press conferences. He's an interesting coach to watch operate. I think some of the stuff that he was doing earlier in the year as far as in-game management stuff, I think he's gotten better with that. The only thing to criticize him on right now is that he's playing a tight rotation, a lot of minutes, and we're getting to the point of the season when you need to start resting those guys. They need to do it to push up into the middle of the standings now that they're there and they have cushion from the play-in where I honestly don't care where you're seated. As long as it's between three and six, you don't get stuck with Brooklyn in the first round. It doesn't really Mm -hmm. matter at that point. So I think at this point, he can probably let the, the foot off the gas a little bit just to preserve guys like Al Horford and Rob Williams for the playoffs. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Now, now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at Dell.com. Welcome to now. Well, Jared, thank you so much for answering our questions, but it's now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly game show where Andrew goes head-to-head with a beat writer. This week, he's going up against Jared Weiss from The Athletic. Jared, how this works, I've come up with eight questions about the Celtics. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It will correspond to a question. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all questions have been asked and answered. So start me off with a number between one and eight. I'll go with five just so I can shamelessly plug my KG oral history that just dropped on the athletics as he's getting his number <laughs> retired. Oh, that's so. great. Yes, I, I actually have that bookmarked to read later. Uh, okay, this is, a, this is a very interesting question. So before you answer, just wait. Al Horford is a five-time All-Star in his 15th NBA season. How many seasons has Al Horford averaged at least 10 rebounds per game? Now, you get to choose who answers first. So you can make Andrew answer first, and then you can say higher or lower, or you can answer first if you're feeling good about it, and then Andrew can guess higher or lower. Uh, Go for it, Andrew. All right, so Andrew has a chance to get it exact. Oh, my gosh. So how many seasons has he averaged 10 or more rebounds? Yes, in 15 NBA seasons. Holy smokes. It can't be that many because he's not a great rebounder. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'll say two. Two. Okay, so over to Jared. And Jared, would you go higher or lower than two? I'll go higher, even though I think it's two. Jared goes higher. The correct answer, one. One season. (laughs) (laughs) He must have a bunch of like 9.6s and stuff like that. (laughs) He's got to. Yeah. All right, Andrew, you're on the board with a point, and it is your board. Number one. Question number one. This week. Jason Tatum scored a season-high 54 points in a game against the Brooklyn Nets. This was Tatum's fifth 
50-point game in his career, a Celtics franchise record if you include the playoffs. There are only three other Celtics with more than one 50-point game in their career. How many can you name? I'll give you one point per correct answer. So we're oh looking for gosh. Celtics who have had more than one 50-point game in their career, and there's three of them. Paul Pierce? Andrew, that is incorrect. Oh, no. Paul Pierce only had one 50-point game. as a Celtic. Yikes. Isn't that wild? Okay, Jared, you have a chance. You could get three points here if you know. Okay, well, Larry Bird. Yes, Larry Bird um, is absolutely Yeah, that's who he beat. <laughs> uh, Ray Allen, I think, had multiple. Ray Allen had one. Oh, he did have uh, one. The other so two I'm names. The other one was was It and Kevin McHale. The other two. So It was one. It had two. Okay. And then the other Whoa. one was Sam Jones. Sam Jones. Oh, Sam Jones. All right. So we are tied up. You both stole the question from one another, Jared. It is your board. Uh, number six. Question number six. Celtics coach Ime Udoka had a seven-year NBA career playing for five different NBA franchises. His best statistical season, in which he averaged a career-high 8.4 points per game while shooting 40% from three, was with this franchise. Portland. That is correct for two points. Very nice. That was impressive, because I just figured everyone would say the Spurs. But it was Portland. Andrew, you are now down, but the board is yours. Number two. Question number two. This week, Marcus Smart jokingly tweeted that, by rule, no NBA guards without the initials GP are allowed to win Defensive Player of the Year. To his point, the last time a player 6'6 or under made the top three in Defensive Player of the Year voting was during the 2008-2009 season. Who was that player? Tony Allen? That is incorrect. Jared, you have a chance to steal. So I'm pretty sure I remember this right because I did a story on this with Marcus a couple years ago, and I think it was Rajon Rondo. That is also incorrect. God damn it. The correct answer, <laughs> Dwayne Wade. Oh, uh, yeah. Dwayne Wade. I don't know Dwayne why I just Wade. gave Jared a point. Hold on a second. <laughs> no, I do not <laughs> deserve that point. rigged. Hold on, hold on. I think on. Rondo came in fourth. That's what I'm Fourth, okay. Uh, yeah, because yeah, Tony, Tony Allen both got fourth. I think Tony Allen got like fifth or sixth. Uh, okay. Okay. Jared, the board is yours. Ooh, uh, number three. Question number three. When this Boston Celtic was entering the draft, one writer described him as, quote, the only prospect who will use part of his NBA contract to pay off student loans he accumulated, paying for tuition as a freshman. Who is that player? Who the hell is that player? <laughs> um, I'm guessing it must have been someone who wasn't on scholarship initially. Oh, maybe it was like Kedrick Brown who went to junior college. That is incorrect. incorrect. Yeah, that does <laughs> Andrew, sense. you have a chance to steal. Peyton Pritchard? I have no idea. So, it's actually a great uh, where Jared, you may have gotten tripped up. He wasn't drafted by the Celtics. He's just a Celtic who, who oh. went entering the draft. It so was like Isaiah Thomas or Derek White. Derek White. Oh, Derek White. of course. Because Derek White. Go look up pictures of Derek White in high school. They're yeah. very funny. He's, yeah. he's like four six or something. Yeah, and so, so I was I was on the right track. Like he did. He it was the same kind of path as Kedrick Brown. But I I thought we were looking for a Celtic draft. Team. Yeah, it was very funny reading about his story because like the coach at Colorado Colorado Springs who who brought him in before yeah. that he was at this uh, school that was known for their culinary program. And he was trying to bring Derek White into that school, which was like an NAIA, like non-scholarship school. So yeah, that reminds me of like the episode of Community where uh, where Troy gets recruited by the air conditioning repair school because he has the talent for it. <laughs> it's like Derek, your calling is to make souffles. <laughs> okay, score is still three to one. Andrew, board is yours. Four. Question number four. Jason Tatum is currently averaging 26.8 points per game. If he finishes with at least 26 points per game, he will become only the ninth player in the last 30 years who had at least two seasons averaging 26 per game or more before age 24. And we're going to try to name the other nine. So these are all players since 1992 who had at least two seasons averaging 26 points per game or more before the age of 24. 
how this works. Andrew will give me a name, then Jared will give me a name. We'll go back and forth till one of you stumbles. LeBron. LeBron is correct. Over to Jared. Luka Doncic. Luka is correct. Back to Andrew. Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal is correct. Back to Jared. Trey Young. Trey Young is correct. Back Ooh, to nice Andrew. Call. Only four left. Four names left. Kobe. Kobe Bryant. That is incorrect, Andrew. Wow. I think it's because he uh, he didn't play a lot. I guess you know. But you'd think by age twenty four. In fact, as I'm he was saying, eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me look this up. Yeah. Real quick. <laughs> he was a high school player. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let's plenty make, of time. Let's make sure. Yeah, did he start averaging twenty four by his fourth season? Uh. <laughs> It is okay. So you have to average twenty six before age twenty four. In his twenty three mm-hmm. year old season, twenty five, twenty two mm. year old season, twenty eight and a half. So he did have mm-hmm. one, but he did not have two. Mm-hmm. The other okay. guys: Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Carmelo, and Tracy McGrady. So Jared, you wow. get that point. You are now up right. four to one, and you have control of the board. It's funny. I was going to say Iverson is my next guest, so I'm really glad that Andrew got it. It was going to be Kobe or Iverson were my next guesses. Uh, Number eight. All right, number eight. Robert Williams is currently shooting 78.4% in the restricted area. Among players that take at least five shots in the restricted area per game, that is number one in the league. In fact, in the past decade, there is only one player who has shot better than 78.4% in the restricted area on at least five attempts per game. Can you name that player? And if you're not sure, I will give you one point and I will reveal what season this happened in. Or you can just guess a name and potentially get two points. What's the score right now? Uh, the score is four to one. You're killing me. Uh, see, I want I want the suspense on the last one. I, I'm going to just go with Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson, that is incorrect. Andrew. Does he not have enough attempts? DeAndre Jordan. That is also incorrect. It was last year. It was Giannis. Giannis. Giannis shot 80%. Holy shit. (laughs) In the restricted area. (laughs) That is insane on how many attempts, like eight a game. Yeah, like eight or nine a game. That is unreal. Holy crap. (laughs) All right, Andrew. uh, You unfortunately can't win, but you can get within one if you can answer this question, which I doubt you can. Boston. Recently signed Nick Stauskas, <laughs> who last week scored 57 points in a G League game. The all-time record for points scored in a G League game, 65, is held by this player, who won an NCAA championship in 2013 with teammate Montrez Harrell and was a second-round pick by the 76ers in 2014. 2014 second-round pick. And he was a teammate of Montrez Harrell oh in college. Gosh. He won the uh, NCAA championship in 2013. I don't know. I don't have a good guess. No. Jared, what would be your guess? Is it Francisco Garcia? Okay. He did play for Louisville. Okay. But yeah. it is way off it. on the timeline. Okay. Uh, it is Russ Smith. Russ Smith. Oh, Russ you Smith. wouldn't have gotten that. No way. Okay. Yeah, that, I remember Russ Smith. One of the hardest questions I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> including the fact that I left out the Louisville name. Because I actually, as I was writing it, I was like, I had Louisville in there originally. I was like, is that too easy? <laughs> apparently, no. Okay, no, apparently wrong. not. No. Not at all. Jared, congratulations. You won. 4 hey. to one Wow. Go, go read Jared's piece on Kevin Garnett right now. Just stop the podcast right now and go read that piece on The Athletic. Jared, thanks so much for coming on. That was fun. I I love doing this with you guys. It's so much fun. Nothing better than trivia. Thank you again to Jared Weiss, but it is time to ditch the Celtics, Andrew, and get a new favorite team. We've got 22 teams left, a ton of them, and it's time to spin the wheel. Our Wheel of Fandom team next week will be the, oh, the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, no. how did we get this? It feels like every time that we like cover any team in sort of detail that we we get them. So, uh, I'm very excited about this. I love the Grizzlies. They're one of the teams that I like to watch anyways. So, we will be talking Grizzlies next week. Hey, Andrew, and Andrew. If you, 
Oh, uh, what? 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 I was thinking it might be fun to when we choose a team. I should have told you this before. Yeah. <laughs> that we go through their we <laughs> go through their schedule for the next week just to let people know what yeah. we'll be watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is this is a bad one. <laughs> okay. This is a bad one. They play the Knicks tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the best game of the week. Sunday, they play at Oklahoma City. You'll be at the game. You'll get to see them up close and personal. I will that's be good. there up close and personal. Okay, that's, that's great. good. That's yeah. a good thing. And then yeah. Tuesday, they play at the Pacers. What a week for the Grizz. That is a gross Grizzlies <laughs> week. That's another reason you know the Wheel of Fandom is not rigged, <laughs> is that we would not have chosen this week for the Grizzlies if we had a chance. Uh, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we'll read it on the show. This week, and I promise this is not me because I spelled my last name wrong. Somebody's somebody's trying to get me here, but they wrote this. This comes from Andrew Schlecht, but without the the extra H at the end. Mm, interesting. It says, "Love the Saturday Slam and Jam. Great. Always sets my weekend off right. Please do a stats breakdown of the worst playoff players ever, because I'm a huge Harden fan, and he gets way too much hate." It sounds like so. he's a huge Joe Folks fan. If he likes bad playoff <laughs> shooting performances, <laughs> he must be. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the Saturday Slam and Jam. Enjoy your weekend and the basketball, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.